Epiphany is almost over, not too much left. Coming up here. O God, who's called and gathered a people from the ends of the earth to serve you, grant the increase of your government among us and give us your Holy Spirit, that your name may be glorified to all who sit in darkness in the shadow of death. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, how you doing? Any questions about anything? Got anything? Anybody who needs a, I got the same one I had last week. Anybody need one? Yes, okay, John Houlihan's a fine man. Thank you very much. They're, they're the same. Uh, we sort of, you know, we got, we got a fair bit of the way through. So you got questions about anything or where I'm going? I know that um, sometimes the edges are a little uh, well-defined, so I want to be careful about that. On the other hand, um, you know, the longer I'm at it, the more I, I'm, I, I, I see how, how um, stark Jesus can be. Somebody said to me this, this week in response to something I said, do you mean to tell me that God is black and white? And the answer is, of course he's black and white. He couldn't be, you know, more blacker and whiter. In theory, he is in practice extraordinarily loving and forgiving. Uh, he comes into a muddied world, you know, of gray tones. But in, in, in theory, G Jesus is very much black and white. Jesus is the same one who can condemn sinners, you know, horribly, with, with sort of horribly sharp language. And then when it's time to choose who you're going to sit next to at dinner, he sits at the sinner's table. So it's just, it's just you know, it's this thing of trying to keep everything together. Um, and that's part of the difficulty uh, in, being, in being a community. Let me, um, let me maybe start at point five, where we were kind of last week. Uh, let me see what's happening. Good morning. Well, uh, is there still room in the women's retreat? There's always room in the women's retreat, isn't there? There you go. So if you still want to go this weekend, um, go see Carla. I know it's a busy weekend. There's uh, several things on the schedule, but it's full up. I mean, there's 60 women going, and, uh, but they'll make room. They'll figure a way. So, all right, uh, at point five. Um, you can never come all the way to whom you were meant to be without living in community. In the same way that heaven will be a poorer place if your face isn't there. If your face isn't here or in some community gathered around an altar, the church is a poor place and you will never be the person that you are meant to be. Individuals do not find their telos. They do not find the thing that they were meant for without being in community. We were created in relationship to God and we were put in relationship to each other. So we're created in relationship to God, we're put in relationship to each other, and our entire lives are meant to be lived in love for the Lord who created us and service to those around us with whom we are in relationship. And you remember then that was quite broadened over the past um, few weeks pre-Christmas actually, when we talked about strangers in our midst, that Jesus says, there's a Zenos, a stranger, and I live inside him. I was thinking this week, there is, um, there is a kind of Christian karma in a way, although maybe not in the way of John Lennon or the Buddha, 
But, uh, but there is a way of, uh, there is a kind of, of, of Christian karma that uh, when you do it to, to, to love your neighbor as yourself is, means that whatever you do to your neighbor will come back to you. I don't mean it in any sort of profiteering sense, and I don't mean it uh, in any other sense than a communal sense. The way you love your neighbor, the way you talk to your neighbor, the way you talk about your neighbor, the way that you care for the people around you, there's only two kinds of language and only two kinds of action. There, are, there is language that hurts and language that helps. There is action that hurts and anguish and language that, uh, there, there, there's action that hurts and action that helps. And there is no in-between. There's nothing in between. So with every breath in the midst of community, in the midst of the world, you either make it better or make it worse. I, I say to my kids sometimes, you know, um, the, the world is an evil enough place, don't add to it. And I, I would say that to you and to me as well. The world is a strikingly evil place. There's people freezing to death. All the, we'll go home tonight and they'll, they'll give us a death count of people who froze to death in Chicago. And you sort of think, you know, how, do, how does that happen? How, how can that happen? And what you do to others, you do to yourself. What you do to others, you do to Christ. We, we went through that very clearly. Jesus says, I'm in the stranger. But it's also true, what you do to others, you do to yourself. What you do to others, you do to the community. You create the community by your very actions, by your very words. And um, I don't mean to suggest to you that what happens in the church is utterly experiential. However, there is a lot of room in the church and in our families and in our own realities and our own communities. There is an awful lot of room. We don't ultimately create reality, but we certainly shape it and form it and create it and make it and stretch it and move it. We certainly do that. And one of the things that's becoming more and more apparent, I think probably the women's Bible study on Friday is farther along now than maybe than anybody else um, in, the, in the church somehow all the lights are clicking on at the right time in there. And they just seem to see from week to week how the next thing and the next thing all fits together. And they, they have this sense of what it means to, to be community, to be honest, to be loving, to be caring. And see, then the point here, point five is, to be something other than you would be naturally. So the point is that Christ moves us to do what we could not and frankly, would not do without him. You know, Christians, uh, non-Christians can't do it. They, they, they can be civilly righteous, but they can't do what the church would do. But all of you here in the church, all of us gathered together, we have the opportunity to be something different. And so often churches neglect this opportunity. Uh, the, the opportunity to create a place that is warm and welcoming and loving because, not because it's deceptive, or synthetic, but because it is honest and understanding. And then people who are the beneficiaries of that honesty and understanding don't take advantage of it by continuing to be deceptive. Instead, that allows them to be more honest and more loving. And they never do the thing they did yesterday that was so horrible. They move on to do the next thing because that's what builds the community. And so the community at the same time needs to have both sides of Christ. There is the Christ who is black and white, is very clear 
who Christ is and what he wants. He makes it extraordinarily clear. He's done that all through Epiphany. It's just that he's drawn lines all over the place. You know, there's ins and there's outs and there's no in-betweens, okay? But inside, he is the most kind and loving and gentle for people, and this is very important, who will struggle toward him and even struggle with him. There's a great difference in the church between people who are struggling with Christ or toward Christ or for Christ and people who are struggling against him. We have all sorts of patience for people who are in the struggle. But for people who are in rebellion, there's not an awful lot of patience for that. That's antichrist. So we're kind of talking about the next level here, which is if we can agree that we're all in the struggle together, and what we want to build is a community, the sort of community that Christ has given us to have as a gift, then the question is how do we go ahead and do that? And Jesus is very clear about that. So at five, you know, acts of mercy, words of witness, and care of the soul. You know, if we, if we sort of run through Romans um, 12, he talks about you being a living sacrifice that draws everything uh, into your life. In fact, let's, you know, this is one of my tendencies is just to kind of scoot by things, but maybe we shouldn't. Let's just spin to Romans 12 for a second. Romans 12. Um, and you know this great, uh, Romans is a, strikingly good book for, because it's so thorough. It begins with our sinfulness, then it speaks about being coming into the community. It's very clear about how that happens. It happens uh, in Romans 6 through baptism, and you come out the other side a new kind of people. So um, this Romans, uh, just, I just, I just, I'll begin actually with one. I sort of, uh, I appeal to you brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable, okay? Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You don't have to be like this world. You can be something different. This place can be something different, right? So you prove, you give a witness to the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, okay? And then he just sort of runs through it. Let your love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what, it good, what is good. You see that the lines are very sharply drawn, and yet it's a great kindness. Love one another with brotherly affection. Build the community. Outdo one another in showing honor. Just ask yourself, is that, I, I don't want to, I don't always to put the questions in the negative. I want to put them in the positive. Think of somebody here who has outdone themselves in showing honor. There's all sorts of people here who should be honored. You know, outdo each other in showing honor. Never flag in zeal. Be a glow in the spirit. Serve the Lord. These aren't things that he's putting a heavy burden on you. He's telling you who you are. We're the sort of people that are always alive to this. Rejoice in your hope. Be patient in tribulation, constant in prayer. You're the sort of people who can actually have some hope. You're not like people who are hopeless. You are like people whose tribulations destroy them. Right? Be constant in prayer because there's somebody listening for you. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Look at this. Practice hospitality. That's giving of money and giving of care. This is very, it's just what Christians do. You know, it's been kind of interesting this year with the capital campaign started up. I have had, you know, a couple of the usual suspects who have engaged me. Um, I would prefer they engage me, you know, direct on. I normally get engaged through the grapevine and these sorts of things, but I, I prefer to be engaged directly. But I will say it's been quite at a minimum this time around, and I'm trying to figure out what that means. I'm hoping that it means is that um, we've shifted from 
just trying to think about whether or not Jesus actually says this, he says it every place, to thinking about how we can do a really good job with it. Now, I know that it makes um, some people uncomfortable, but what I've discovered, it's almost always a single point in the capital campaign when people um, are uncomfortable. And it's because they still haven't sorted out that the capital campaign's not about money. As soon as people figure out it's not about money, they normally do a little bit better. Um, you know, uh, as soon as you figure out that this is just what Christians do, you contribute to the needs of the saints, and you practice hospitality. You know, that's, that's money, and, money and care, that's what it is. As soon as people figure out that's exactly what it is, or, you know, excel in giving just as you excel in love and, and grace and every gift, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10, those great chapters about giving. As soon as people figure out that it's not about money, as soon as they figure it out it's about reordering your life to be, and as soon as people understand that everybody has something to steward, you know, the craziest thing is when people say, I'm out because I don't have a lot of money. Or even, you know, even strangers when people say, I'm out because I never learned to take care of money, so I don't have any. That's not, the, the whole point's been missed. This is about stewarding whatever you've got into the Lord's care. It's about making sure you say your prayers every day, steward your prayers. It's about stewarding your tongue. Make sure that you only give out um, true information. It's about stewarding your attitude. Make sure that um, you outdo each other in showing honor, for example, to people who have chosen to lead in this. Make sure that you steward whatever it is that you've got. Everybody's got something. If you don't have anything, you're dead. If you have breath, you've got something. Steward your breath, right? Steward your mind. Steward all of it. You come free in this as soon as you realize it's not about money, as soon as you realize it's about being a disciple and Jesus using you well and trying to figure out how to do that, two things will happen. One is that allows you to get on board. The other thing is, is you stop caring about the end game so much. The, um, you, you've, you've heard Super Bowl coaches say 15 times this week, you know, we just prepare and then we let the end take care of itself. In a sense, that's really true. Y'all just tend what you've got, and then we let the end take care of itself. Wherever we end up, that's where we end up. Wherever we end up, so long as everybody is taking care of each other, that's an okay place to end up. That's where we end up, because that means we've played out our resources, and now I'm not just talking about money, we've played out all our resources, our faith, our care, our prayer, our attitude, our love for one another, our respect. We've spoken when we should have spoken. We were quiet when we should have been quiet. When we've played all of that out, then we've created the sort of community you see where everybody gets to contribute. If it's only about money, then only rich people get to contribute. If it's about stewarding your entire life, body, soul, uh, and mind, then everybody gets to play. And when you get that, you'll get it, and if you don't get that, you'll never get it. I mean, I think you're here, you probably get that, but it's so important, and when people suggest that it's some sort of foreign message, just read the text. I mean, this text doesn't say anything else than we've always said. Love what's genuine, hate what's evil. Don't put any more evil into the system. Love good stuff. Hold fast to what's good. Love one another with a brotherly affection. You know, take care of, if you had a brother, if you're fortunate enough to have a brother or a sister, and then you're beyond that, you were fortunate enough to love that brother or love that sister. Now you translate that to all the people in this congregation who are more brother to you than your biological brother. 
because this is your real family. Baptism is bigger than blood. That's what the text is talking about. Never flag in zeal, be aglow in the spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in your hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. This is not a laundry list of things to do. These are ideas, rejoicings, uh, recognition of gifts, understanding of all the possible ways that we steward our lives, all the possible ways that we're community, contribute to the needs of the saints, practice hospitality, and then the tougher times when things don't quite go as well, but this is still the mark of community, that you bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Because there are some times when we're going to rub each other the wrong way, and there are some times when we are going to be evil, and you don't help people by cursing them, you help them by blessing them. The end game is reconciliation. Rejoice with those who rejoice, empathy. Weep with those who weep, sympathy. Live in harmony with one another, patience. Don't be haughty but associate with the lowly. Isn't that great? There's no sort of levels in the church. Rich people don't mean more than poor people. Read the, read the book of James. But poor people don't re- mean more than rich people. Read the book of James, right? Smarter people don't mean more than less smart people. You know, people who, 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 who have one gift are not bigger than another gift. It's that all your gifts together, you have to think of yourselves as one each of you individual, and you bring what you've got, and then all put together, it's all great. Repay no one for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all, the common nobility, the common good. No, not everybody's going to get our, not, nobody's going to get their way because every one of us has our own idea of what's noble. The quest is for the common good, Philippians 2, or for what's noble in the sight of everybody. If possible, so far as it depends on you, And one of the first things, I I don't know, maybe the first things you learn in life, one of the first things you learn, I think, being married, maybe one of the first things you learn having kids, the first things you learn being a pastor, one of the very first things you ever learn is you can't control anybody else except yourself. Not for very long and not without an extraordinary amount of force. But you can control you, so control you. Steward you, care for you, use you, right? So far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be, it'd, it'd be remarkable, and it is great to go into to, to, to groups. Um, you know, this Women's Friday study you know, comes to mind. Carla tells me it's much the same on Tuesday as well. But if, where peace is the mark of the group. Because when peace is the mark of the group, one is everybody un- knows you've got it, and two is they know you've, one is they know you've got it, and two is that they want it. I want to be part of that group because there's no place else in my life that's peaceful, no place else that people treat me like family, no place else that people give me the benefit of the doubt, no place else where I can come in my brokenness and still be sure that I'll be loved, no place else where I can be honest and still be cared for, not pitied, not disdained, not talked about later, but actually be cared for and try then to be of some use to other people and to Christ. See? Never avenge yourselves. Leave it to me, says God. Vengeance is mine. I'll repay. This is why you're supposed to pray for your enemies. Because you just, you just dump them on Jesus. You say, well, you'll have to take care of that one now. The, the, the quicker you can unload your enemies on Jesus, the better off you're going to be. Now, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink. Jesus is found even in the Zenos who is your enemy. 
even in the stranger who is your enemy. For by doing so, you heap burning coals upon his head. I have no idea what that means. And I've never met anybody who knows what that means. But apparently it must be good, and we should probably do it to you. <laughs> I, I, mean, I have no idea what that means. So <clears throat> the only closest I can get is Isaiah, the Isaiah text from this morning where he takes the coal, a holy... I mean, you should be thinking, just as an aside, you should be thinking Holy Supper when you hear the text today, the Old Testament text. The angel, at the bidding of God, takes the coal, takes something holy from the altar and touches you with it. And when you're touched with it, it makes you holy. Holy things come to holy people and make them holy. That's, it's, <laughs> the Lord's Supper works just the way heaven works, right? Crazy stuff. Jesus, by touch, makes you holy. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If nothing else happens in your entire life in the church, what you want to be is the kind of place where you say, good won the day. That would be enough. That, that would be enough of a way to be church if you could say the good won the day. Now the thing is, is if you try to do that on your own, you'll never get it done. There's actually a miracle that you're put into community. It's actually God's work Jesus is so clear in 1 Corinthians 10 about the Holy Supper. Individuals don't come to the supper and make themselves into a community. The supper comes to individuals and makes them into a community. God makes you what you're to be individually. God makes you what you're to be together. And you'll never find who you're to be outside of the divine community of the church. And the divine community of the church will never find what it's to be unless it is in constant service to Christ. And that, you see, is why, and now you can talk about it as discipleship or stewardship or you know, following Jesus, however you want to talk about it. If the church's focus isn't constantly on how can we do better, what gifts have we been given, where do we go next, how do we go forward, how can we do a better job with people, how can we be kinder, you, you should not hear this as the law. You should hear this as pure gospel. You should hear this as, wow, look at what he's given us. Look at how you all are blessed. Look at how we've all been put together. The possibilities really are endless. And, and see, at a capital campaign point, and this really hasn't happened much for then people to say, well, it's really just all about money. I mean, it's just as if they're from another planet. It's not about money. It's about us together being who we're meant to be. So, and I'm kind of swinging you down under five. With that, we, and I'm just sort of bringing you through where we've been now. We mimic the words of mercy for the woman caught in adultery. You should learn to talk to people who've been caught in adultery. And you should learn to talk to them the way Jesus does. We love you, go, you're free. Right? The works of mercy to the stranger in our midst. Jesus, when did we see you poor, naked, blind, in jail? When you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. That ties with the, uh, the Nazareth gospel that Jesus uh, claimed to be fulfilling uh, two weeks ago. The hospitality of his holy table, where he draws us together and nourishes us and makes us one and strengthens us, right? And the practice, and then this wasn't my phrase, but I thought it was brilliant, of intentional community. That you look around and say, the most important thing for me here is to build the community, okay? So we learn to care for others the way he cares for us as we're little Christ, Luther's phrase. 
and we live from forgiveness in the community and we extend it and we do our best and we carry on, but we always remember that this doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come naturally. It needs to be taught, which is, it's good that all of you are here because you can get just the right spin on it then. This is not a church where we make a list of things and we sort of check them off to make sure you're, you're doing what you're supposed to. And if you're not doing more than seven in 10, then we call you in. That's not the primary thing that we do here. What we do here is say, look at all the gifts and look at all the people around you and look at the possibility. And wouldn't it be great if you were attached to one brilliant thing in your life? Friends fail you, people lose their jobs, money goes away, Kids aren't always what you hope to be. There could be one place that could be the kind of place that you want it to be. It can be this place. And then what you'll, what you'll find out is when you have a place like that, then your kids slowly get redeemed and your friends slowly come back in a way that perhaps you can care for them even better and the Lord uh, doesn't let you starve to death. And, on and on you go within the midst of community. So um, your entire life then is meant to be uh, study at the feet of Jesus. And you know, someday, and I, I, you know, someday we should talk about what it means to have a Sabbath, where all we do is think about Jesus. You know, we all have plans today, big day, right? We were all going someplace else. Got services this morning, the basketball tournament at Walter, then we gotta get back, and there's Super Bowl stuff, and then here we go, and what's gonna happen? It's gonna be about 11.47, and the day will have gone like straight through from 6 a.m. till about 11.47, and there will have been um, very little rest, you know, uh, where there's just thought about what builds the community of Christ. Just, we just need to pay a little more attention to that, okay? Now, I said this more starkly last week, but I will say it to you again, that anything that goes by the name Christian, anything less than this, what I'm trying to describe to you that goes by the name Christian, um, really is a lie. Because Jesus does draw the lines fairly starkly. You know, Jesus does say there is, I can go this far and no farther. And one of the, one of the troubles in the church, and you know, in some ways I, I, put, I say this as an historical referent almost to you, because in some ways you have to say these things and then you just have to move on from them because in some ways we can't care about this. The church has been one of the most brilliant things ever to grace the face of the earth from schools to hospitals to care of strangers. Now, now the, the church has done horrible things as well. There's no doubt the church has done horrible things. But knowing all of that, the question is what sort of church, community, congregation, family, body, in this place and at this time, do you all want to be? That's the question. You look around the room at people like this, you know, what I see is constant opportunity. What I see is great gifts. What I wonder is, why, how, how can we do more? I don't necessarily mean more things, but I do mean, how can we do the, more of the primary thing, which is to be witness to Christ? That doesn't mean you have to have 50 programs. One of the most vexing questions moving to the Bible church for me is people always, people regularly from outside ask me, what are the new things you're gonna do? And partly my answer is, uh, you know what? I don't know because what I wanna do is 
all the old things we're doing already much, much better. And we have in our mind maybe sometimes quantity rather than quality. What we need to think about is we need to isolate the things that will be the best witness to Christ. What will those things be? And those are the things we need to, to do. You can find everything else somewhere else. But this is the only place where you're going to find the things that are described in Romans. There isn't any place else that, that treasures that as a gift, a divine gift from Christ. So, um, and I just want you to beware, and actually I want you to learn to probe a bit, and in your probing I want you to learn to help people who will say of what we do here, that's not Christianity, or that's not the gospel, or that's not it, or that's not right. To which I'm very willing to say, I spend most of my life looking to be corrected. I mean, it's the reason I read, it's the reason I talk, it's the reason I, you know, we've got an ongoing conversation now with, you know, Pastor Gaining, the vicar, and whoever else, whatever unfortunate acolyte tends to be in the sacristy, uh, about the ontological change in, in, in justification, you know. And, I, and you know, I'm, I'm like, every time I get in that room, that's, the conversation picks up where it picked up, where the last time we were in the room together, it doesn't matter if it was an hour ago or a week ago, the conversation picks up, okay, it would have to mean this, da-da-da-da-da. You should be doing that with all your friends, it's too, not about, you know, the antos of justification. You know, that's just what people talk about when they're bored. No, not <laughs> no this is, you should be talking about, you know, how it is that you can do some good, or who it is around you that needs some help, or how we can all get better. It's part of your responsibility. If you try to live and die by your pastor, you will die. Yeah, you will. No pastor can bear the burdens of a congregation. And if a pastor drops dead, you know, Go to the graveyard, come back, eat potato salad, and then get busy again. Because, you know, that's just, you know, pastors like teachers are best when they are redundant. You know, your best teacher is, or bosses, great bosses are the bosses that can take a month off and nobody notices, right? It's the same for great teachers and great pastors. You make yourself, you make yourself irre irrelevant. You know, this whole exercise for me is trying to make myself irrelevant. So that, you know, you know, when I disappear, and someday I will, you sort of just carry on like, well, what's the next thing? You need to learn to do this. And I want you to learn to beware in a kind way when people um, are dodging or making excuses or not telling the truth. I preached about this, you know, a few months ago, that the difference between what is, between the difference between what is private, you know, and what is secret, the difference is, you know, secrets, and I use the negative connotation. What is secret if it's exposed to light withers? And what is private, think private absolution, if, it expose, if it's exposed to light, it flourishes. Um, you know, what, what I might confess in private absolution um, is private primarily because that's the best care for me. But if you actually heard what I said, this is what I, what particularly troubles me is this. And then you heard a spiritual father say to me, um, that's forgiven, and this might be a way to go forward. If that were brought to light, that would flourish. So you should all nod along and say, well, of course that's what it is. So in the church, if I can just put it this way, there's nothing secret in the church. To have secrets in the church is improper. To have private things, of course there are private things. You know, everything from giving to job reviews to um, leaders sort of hashing things out in the committee to, 
you know, people come from, there's all sorts of private things. But there's an honesty in privacy at times um, and a faithfulness in that. So that's the sort of place that we're meant to be. And you, 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 what, you need to, what you need to learn to be good at is not to accept, or maybe I put it in a better way, not to indulge the <coughs> dodges. You know, one of the ways to sort of tear anything down is to, you know, we're brilliant at conspiracy theories. So, you know, one of the, you know, which never bothered me because as somebody observed in the New York Times, <clears throat> to believe in a conspiracy theory, you actually have to think you're important enough to have people conspire against you. You know, if you're free of that, if you're free of that, that, that pridefulness, then you, you, conspiracy theories don't really mean anything. But uh, you, so, so what you have to think about, especially at a time like this, we're sort of amping things up and there's a lot going on and we're trying to say, okay, this is what we're aiming at and we try to be real clear and then people say, no, they're aiming at this. And we say, no, we're aiming at that. And they say, no, they're really aiming at this. No, we're really aiming at that. What we're aiming at is trying to pull as much as we can out of everybody and see what that takes us. And if you just translate it, pull as much as we can out of everybody as money, you're not paying attention. Okay? We're trying to pull as much of everything as you've got. If you don't have two dimes to rub together, you're, you're still a disciple, you're still a steward, you're still in the capital campaign, you're still a part of the community, you're still a part of the family. It's about using whatever you've got to build the community. Okay? The Bible church is just, and I've said this repeatedly, the Bible church is just the way that we all decided together after years of talking about it to go forward. We could have built churches in Russia. We could have had half of you move downtown to Hyde Park and start a congregation there or someplace on the south side. You know, we could have taken over six parishes in the city. You know, we could do whatever, but this is what we've chosen to do. So this is what we're doing. So let's see how far it takes us. But in a, in a, in a bunch of honesty. And you just need to learn to, and I don't mean in an angry way, um, I'll just I'll give you the short story. Pastor Ganey got stiffed yesterday. One of the interesting things is watching the new guys get stiffed. Because what happens is the same thing that happens to me. They go, <laughs> I can't even believe anybody would treat a pastor like that. And then I'm going, he, he, he. <laughs> you know. <clears throat> this, is, this isn't unique to pastors. I mean, this is happens with teachers. This happens with elders. This is happens with, but, you know, sort of like, it's interesting because you, you have this, you know, what you're expecting, and then sort of what happens. Okay, so you, now there's a couple things you can do with that when you get stiffed. You can, you know, you can get real crabby and scream and yell at people, or you can sort of try to help them through that. And, you know, I, I just, you know, the, sort of the natural response, the natural response of human beings is to be crabby and be, scream and yell. The church response, and this is what I'm trying to urge in you, is to pause a little bit and take a breath and maybe think about what the next thing might be. Try to think about what would build the community, what would bring reconciliation. It doesn't mean that we're soft. You know, at bottom, you know, I suppose we're tough as nails. You know, because Jesus is tough as nails. We, but the, the trick is to only be as tough as Jesus is. But in, in practice, what we want, we, we try to find the way that would bring sinners to repentance to bring people who would stiff you back into community. 
But I'm asking the same of you. I'm trying to ratchet up the maturity level in the entire congregation. I'm asking, I'm trying to show you that this is another way to be a little Christ to each other. If you can help, you don't let people live, you know, don't let people live at, at, at a below Jesus level. Don't let them live there. You know, it's up to you to say to them, because we're not always there. Sometimes they intend for us not to be there. We're not always there. It's up for you to say to them, that's not the way Jesus talks. And that's not the way that Jesus acts. And, and, you know, nobody's immune. Teachers aren't immune. Pastors aren't immune. Leaders aren't immune. You can say that. But you need to have, you need to have your data when you say it. That's the other thing. If you're bold enough to say it to somebody else, if you're bold enough to sort of pronounce a judgment, if you're bold enough to stand up and say, this is what Christians do, you just, I'm just telling you, just have your data lined up. Okay? Because what's happening is the private things are becoming public. And when they become public, if you're going to cause a stir, you better, you know, you better have your, you better have your ducks in a row. Okay, so and I, I don't mean that. I just mean that in general. If you're going to help somebody else, please help them see the whole picture. It's the way that you, you sort of bring them into the next thing. Um, and then, you know, it's very important for us to honor the struggle of those who are trying to get it right. You know, nobody has it right all the time. Not me, not you, not your leaders, not your elders, not teachers who are here, not kids in the school. Nobody has it right all the time. But what we want to say is that we're all struggling to get it right. You know, what we want to do is encourage people in the struggle to get it right. We want to give people the benefit of the doubt that they're struggling to get it right. Um, and we want to avoid pretending like we have it perfectly right. We don't. I mean, there wouldn't be anything to talk about. If we have it, if, we, if, we, if it was perfectly right, we'd just all sit down, be quiet, and have tea. You know, we, there's just so much to be doing. So, so here we go. The aim is for every member to carry his or her weight according to the gifts our Lord's bestowed. For some of you, it's great patience. For some of you, it's great wisdom. For some of you, it's just having a long fuse. You know, for some of you, it's able to crunch numbers in your head like crazy. Mr. Woods, my math teacher, who used to race kids on calculators. It was crazy. He used to race us, you know. I mean, he really believed he could calculate faster than we could punch numbers in, which was true for about the first three days. And then we learned how the numbers were, and he retired. So, um, <laughs> you know, so, and then, then I, just, I, just mar I just take this bottom thing. The Christian life is marked by overflowing excellence, by prominence and progress in a life of Eucharistia, gratitude and thanksgiving. Okay, so flip, flip your text, open to 1 Corinthians 12, if you can. And I just want at least one read through this, because I think this is a remarkably, you know, wonderful text. And if you have a Bible with headings like my old one here, um, it says the use of spiritual gifts, which already tells you that you're using something that you've been given to, that's been, that's been given to you, right? And you know what, since we're, since we're a little short on time, what I'm going to do, instead of going right to 12, I'm actually going to do the first, um, start at, just look at four. There are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. So you have the same Christ, and you have the same spirit. You have the same heavenly fathers. There are varieties of workings, but the same God who inspires them in everyone. You see that? So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all are for you, and all of you have different things. You're a different package of stuff, okay? You, get, you know, just the, the divine attribute, I'm sorry, the, um, uh, the, 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 uh, the divine virtues, um, 
the, the material things that are given to us, you know, wisdom, all these things. To each, this is 1 Corinthians 12, 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. One is, it's not your gift, and two is, you can't stay home. I mean, if Jesus gives you a gift to share with others, you can't stay home and keep that gift to yourself. It's a gift that was given to you. It's a manifestation of the Spirit, so it's a divine gift. You didn't earn it. It's a gift. And it's given for others. So, you know, the Christian life starts with, you know, beyond being saved, which is the bare minimum thing, the Christian starts with looking at yourself saying, you know, what's the Lord given me, and how can that help you? Not, what's the Lord given me, and how can that help me? What's the Lord given me, and how can that help you? Look at the gifts you've been giving, and ask yourself how those gifts build the community. You know, you're meant to be in church. You're meant to be in the family. You're meant to be in the community. You're meant to serve for the common good, for the plural good, for the community good. Okay? And now, I just read this through, but this is where we're going next week. For just as the body is one and has many members, okay? So we all know this. There's a hundred individuals sitting here, but we are one. And the members of the body, though they are many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For by one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Romans 6. If you get baptized, then this is your new family. If you get baptized, this is your new community. If you get baptized, this is your new body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free. Doesn't matter where you came from, where you were born, what color your skin is. And all were made to drink of one spirit. I mean, he just can't say one often enough. One, 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 one. One God gave you lots of gifts for one body here on earth. For the body does not consist of one member. You're never your own. You're never your own. You're in community. If you're baptized, you're in community. The body doesn't consist of one member, but many. Okay? And we'll stop there and we'll take the rest of it up, the rest of that chapter up as we go next week. But it is, it's just a completely different way to think about yourself. And it is a completely different way to care for the people around you. And you know what? This is the stuff that makes a congregation really good. If a congregation can get this figured out, if it can live in forgiveness where we come up short, and if it can really leverage the places where we're long with these sorts of gifts, you know, gee, it is just the place where everybody wants to be then. That's where we need to come. And, and what I want you to look for I, you can't argue against this. This is an inarguable point. This is what Jesus wants. This is it. We, you couldn't be more clear about it. We, shouldn't, we, we couldn't be more clear about it. This is what Jesus wants from us. Okay? This, is, this is beyond you know, just whether or not you're going to heaven. This is about creating heaven on earth and how that gets done. Okay, so we'll have a run at it next week and see what happens. After that, I think where I'm going to take you, just if you're reading ahead, is Ephesians 4, 1 to 7. All right, so 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4. All right, let's pray. Next thing, thanks. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Okay, thanks. See you.